0: So our reading is from Malachi chapter 4, that can be found on page 962 in the Church Bibles, Malachi chapter 4. Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, May I speak in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Do please be seated. I should have said in the notices that um, the most important thing in the coming week is the marriage of Kenny and Patricia, who are sitting here at the front, getting married on Saturday. And uh, our love and prayers are very much with you as you look forward to that wonderful day. (laughs) hope you have a wonderful time. Now, I have good news for you this morning, and that is that justice will be done. Justice is a word we love. We live in a wicked world where often we cry out for justice. Or if we're not crying out for justice, other people certainly are. We see the oppression of uh, cultural or religious groups. We see the struggle of the migrants as they flee from the brutality and Places like Syria and Iraq, those kind of things we've just been praying for. Images of three year old Island Kurdi washed up on the shore of the beach in Turkey. You see that kind of thing and you just want to cry out for justice. Will there be any justice, we say? And the answer is yes. And it rests in God's hands. Justice will be done. God will put things right. Evil will ultimately be dealt with. And this must be good news. Evil will be destroyed and right will prevail. And that is how this book of Malachi ends. We've been uh, looking at this book for the last five weeks. And we're in the final chapter of Malachi. It's also the final chapter of the entire Old Testament. And if you'd like to follow it, we're on page 962 in the church Bibles. And I preface what I've been saying by saying justice is good news. Because I don't know how you felt as we read it. It's, it's quite a hard reading. And for the entire Old Testament to finish with these words, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse, is, um, well, it's quite a bleak way to end a book, isn't it? (laughs) But this whole thing is about justice. And I'd like us to look in four different directions today. And the first is to look up. Because God is coming. Verses 1 to 3. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day is coming that will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Last week we looked at God being like a fire, but it was a refining fire, a sort of purifying fire, the fire that you would put a precious metal in so that gold is purified. But this says not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. And so on. Now the preacher on Oxford Street who carries the placard that says the end is nigh. If we're honest, we find them something of an embarrassment. Even if we agree with the sentiment, it's just not quite our style, is it? I was raised on the comedy Fawlty Towers. I don't know if you remember Fawlty Towers with uh, John Cleese as the hotel manager, Basil Fawlty. He's a, most, he's a crashing snob, really, Basil Fawlty, and he lays on this gourmet night. He's tired of the riffraff who come to his hotel, and he wants a bit of class. So he has gourmet night, and everyone has to wear black tie and stuff, and in the middle of it, something catches fire in the kitchen, and he's so embarrassed because this is going to wreck the gourmet night. So he comes into the dining room and he goes, "Fire, fire!" And then smoke starts billowing in. And, he's, and in only only John way, only John Cleese can he he sort of goes berserk and sort of says, "Fire, fire! Get out, everybody!" And I suppose our view of God's justice and God coming depends a little bit on how seriously we take. His promise to come. And the fact that one day God will come, as we've just said in the creed, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Because if we think, wow, it's just one of those phrases that sort of slipped into the creed somehow, we'll probably say, "Um, fine, the end is nine. But if we really believe it, then it should impact the way we live. And this is exactly what Malachi is saying here. The end is nigh. Surely the day is coming, he says. And the street preacher in Jerusalem in the 5th century BC doesn't pull his punches. But this is the climax of Malachi's message. And this is Malachi's good news. Now, it's very important to see chapter four, verse one, in the context of the ultimate goodness and justice of God, because Malachi has been addressing the people of Judah, God's people, about their cold relationship with him. How they were very lax and cynical even about God, full of sneering questions to God. How can we know God loves us? Chapter one. Why give of our best? Really? I'm busy. What's the problem with marriage, breakdown and divorce, chapter 2? What profit do we get from giving our money to God, chapter 3? What's the point of doing right when the wicked prosper? Look at chapter 3, verse 15. But now we call the arrogant blessed, certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. That is often how we perceive the world. The wicked prosper. Those who challenge God escape. And if chapter 3 verse 15 was the end of Malachi, that would indeed be a very bleak way to end the book. Where there's no justice. The world has no hope. And there's no reason to live rightly. Because in the end it doesn't really matter if we can get away with whatever it is we want to get away with. And this is one of the great truths about God throughout the Bible, that God is a God of justice. He calls the shots. We've just sung that great hymn at the beginning, Rejoice, the Lord is King. And we sing quite cheerfully, He sits at God's right hand till all his foes submit and bow to his command and fall beneath his feet. Sometimes because it's to a kind of upbeat tune, we fail to sort of take in the seriousness of what we're actually singing. But God is a God of justice, and one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. He calls the shots. And it goes right through the Bible. So God tells Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden about their moral choices and the consequences of those choices, blessing or judgment. Abraham says in Genesis chapter 18, Shall not the God of all the earth Sorry, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And Malachi says, of course he will. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, evil will not have the last word. That must be good news, isn't it? And chapter 4, verse 2, righteousness will be rewarded. That's also good news. We began the service with some verses from Psalm 96 which are coming up on the screen. It's a psalm full of joy. When God comes, he's going to put things right. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. That means he calls the shots. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. That means he's going to be scrupulously fair. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant, jubilant and everything in them. Let the, all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. That's why we're rejoicing, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness. That means he's going to do what's right. He's not going to be like a, a jury who might make a mistake and get it wrong. God, by definition, will get it right. He'll judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. He'll be consistent with his perfect character. God will come to put things right. And that will mean justice. And that will mean the judgment of evil. On judgment day, no one will say, well, he got it wrong. You know, we we think there's more evidence and I'm afraid God the judge, he had a bad day. No. Malachi chapter 4 verse 2 says, the whole creation will rejoice like leaping calves. Now, we don't see many leaping calves in Chester Square, but I think probably most of us can picture the scene of animals leaping for, for joy, like a, like a lamb leaping, because it's just full of the joys of spring. Now, it's important to say, I think, that even though we say that justice is good news, that God has no joy in the destruction of the wicked. And to be quite honest, it would be lovely just to preach a sermon about love. (laughs) But if we only spoke about love, we would only be speaking on part of the Bible. And we believe that the whole Bible is the word of God. And the Bible tells us that although God is just, and that is a cause for celebration, when he acts in judgment, it actually breaks his heart. So Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, says this. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. Fire! Why will you die, people of Israel? He's a loving judge. Do you remember the opening statement of Malachi? I have loved you. Everything that follows flows out of his love. Rather like a parent who has to discipline their child. In some ways it breaks their heart. And the child's disobedience breaks their heart. But you know that it's for the good of the child. God is not rejoicing at the destruction of the wicked. Rather, he's rejoicing in the victory of God, that justice has been done, that right has prevailed. God's breaking heart cries out, turn, turn from your evil ways. And this is the biblical pattern. The destruction of evil is integral to the gospel. And to the restoration of God's perfect world. So think of one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John three sixteen. 16. There's a verse about love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So that whoever believes in him should not perish. But have eternal life. The destruction of evil is integral to the gospel. You don't get the exodus without the defeat of Pharaoh. You don't get the resurrection without the cross. You don't get the new creation in Revelation chapters 21 and 22 without the last judgment in chapters 18 to 20. So look up, God is coming. And this is great news. And this should lift our hearts when the news is bad. We're just thinking in the prayers, you know, watching the news is a bleak experience, isn't it? But to know that one day evil will be dealt with is good news. It's also sobering news and perhaps challenges us to think about our priorities and to spur us on as we seek to live for Christ and to reach a lost world for him. So look up, God is coming. That's my major point. I've got... um, a couple of others. Second, look back. God has saved you. Verse 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. Now, as I said, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, and here in verse 4 is a call to remember God's covenant with Moses and his people. And here we have a reminder of God's covenant, of God's faithful covenant love, and also of the people's consistent failure to keep the covenant. And here, one last time in the Old Testament, we have in verse 4, remember. It's a word that occurs again and again and again in the Old Testament. Remember, do not forget. Do not forget the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Remember, he is God. And when he says, remember the law of my servant Moses, he's not saying keep the rules like a sort of headmaster. He's really saying get back into a restored relationship with the God who called you, who saved you, who redeemed you. Rules will never get us right with God because how could any of us ever be good enough for the perfect, holy God? And for us uh, Christians reading the Old Testament through New Testament spectacles, we're called to keep remembering, to go back to the cross, to the one who saved us the one who redeemed us there, Jesus Christ. So verse 4 is not a call to return to legalism, but to a right response to God's covenant grace. Remember how much God loves you. Remember the lengths he went to save you. And it's a challenge to us, I think. Perhaps when we take communion... Very easy, just to sort of do it because that's what we do every week. But it's a challenge to remember how much God loves you, how much, what lengths He went to to save us. It's a challenge to us to take sin seriously in our lives, to be ruthless with sin, because our sin took Jesus to the cross. So look back, God has saved us. Third, look forward. Jesus will return. Verses 5 and 6. Look forward to what he calls the great and dreadful day of the Lord. This is the day when God will act decisively in history and bring salvation for his people. Of course, in the Old Testament, there's the day of the Lord. The coming of God was a frequently used term. For us, again, looking at the Old Testament through New Testament specs, we know that In one sense, we've had one day of the Lord when Jesus came as a baby at Bethlehem. But there's a second part to it when he will come again to judge the living and the dead. So Malachi is actually pointing forward to the coming of Jesus. So the very next page, if you turn over the next page, you'll see we're in the New Testament and there's Matthew's gospel. Some people say you should rip out that middle page, that sort of blank page that says the New Testament, because we go straight from Malachi into Matthew. That's what Malachi is preparing us for, the gospel, the good news. Now, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, refers to my messenger, and chapter 4, verse 5, identifies the messenger as Elijah. Now, why Elijah? Well, do you remember Elijah? He came and preached repentance. He called people back to God. And in uh, the beginning of Luke's gospel, when the angel announces to Zechariah that his wife is going to give birth to John the Baptist, he says this. And he, John the Baptist, will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John the Baptist was that Elijah figure, preparing people for the coming of the Lord, calling people, calling fathers to their children and the disobedient to be righteous. And Jesus' verdict on John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11, verses 13 and 14, I don't think we've got it on the screen, but Jesus says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, John is the Elijah who was to come. So this reference to Elijah is of a prophetic figure who's coming. Not Elijah come back from the dead, but... An Elijah figure who calls people to repentance, like John the Baptist, prepare the way for pointing to Jesus. So right at the end of the Old Testament, what Jesus refers to as the law and the prophets, Malachi brings before us these two great characters from the Old Testament. Moses, who represents the law, and Elijah, who represents the prophets. And Malachi says, remember one, Moses, and expect the other. Look forward to the day, the great and dreadful day, as we look forward to Elijah, John the Baptist, and indeed the one he was proclaiming would come, Jesus himself. Jesus will return. Fourth and finally, look within. Guard your heart. Verse 6. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. The very last verse of the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament contains a warning. Now, I don't know what you would write if you were writing a sort of punchline to the entire corpus that is the Old Testament. I think I'd be tempted to write some verse of encouragement. God loves you. And he finishes, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. See, if God is coming, we need to be prepared. We need to hear that call fire. Such an English thing, isn't it? Fire. <laughs> fire! Be ready! He's coming! <laughs> He's coming, so look within. So guard your heart. Malachi is full of warnings about the dangers of broken relationships and social meltdown and shabby worship and collapsing society. And here in verse 6 is a call for restoration, in this particular instance, to family life, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. But in all our relationships, We need to be repentant and rebuilding. And if not, says Malachi, there'll be judgment. And it's a solemn warning not to take the grace of God lightly or to take the grace of God for granted. Our right response to his covenant love is to guard our hearts. So a good question to ask ourselves perhaps might be, what am I doing to guard my heart? Am I regularly reading the scriptures? Is my reading of the scriptures like a sort of chocolate box where I take out the ones I like and leave the ones I don't like? Or do I read it systematically? What about prayer? Am I in communion with God? Is Sunday worship number one priority? Do I have an accountability partner or a small group or someone... Who can help me with the guarding of my heart? Because I know the sinfulness of my heart. I need others to help me. We all do. Am I ruthless with sin and temptation? So that's Malachi. He begins with his great statement of God's covenant love. Chapter 1, verse 2, I have loved you. And he ends with a warning and a call for obedience. And our response is a condition of our enjoying that covenant love. So the book begins with an unconditional warning and it ends, uh, sorry, the book begins with a statement of unconditional love and ends with a conditional warning. And that, I think, is the authentic biblical balance. On the one hand, we can never earn God's love. We don't deserve it. He just gives it to us freely by his grace. Fantastic. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But on the other hand, we can never use the love of God as an excuse for sloppy disobedience. We can never say, well, if God loves me eternally, then I can just do what I like. That's nonsense. So here at the end of the Old Testament and at the end of Malachi, the Bible comes together with a statement of God's unconditional love and our covenant response and says both are absolutely essential to our relationship with God. So today, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, know that you are loved by God unconditionally and eternally. And know that your love for God is proved by how you live in response, in practical, lifelong, faithful discipleship. That's the message of Malachi, indeed the message of the Bible. So let's draw strength from the first, and let's draw motivation from the second. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we... Thank you for your covenant love, and thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. Thank you, too, for this warning and reminder that you are coming, that you are coming to judge, and thank you that you are the God of justice who will put all wrongs right. Please help us to live in the light of your coming and in the light of your love that we may serve you with glad and joyful hearts. And we ask it for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen.